Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. Congratulations to everyone who didn't want to bear through the Bull Horvat speculation for another month and two days. You win. The NHL has capitulated to your demands. He has been traded much sooner than the trade deadline. And you are free from, is Horvat going to be a Detroit Red Wing at the trade deadline conversation for now? Are we, though? At the trade deadline? Yes. Are we, though? The Islanders have plenty of opportunity to fall out of the playoff race by then. I don't think Lou Lamorello is going to be that crazy. (laughs) Can you imagine they, they trade him after trading for him? Within the span of a month. The NHL isn't fun enough for that to happen. And of all the GMs, that is probably the least likely to have any fun. Lou Lamarell is at the top of the well, list. Oh, he's a plenty fun guy. Remember how we invent, not we, but like how hockey media invented Nazem Kadri to the Islanders in the summer because everybody was so confused by how little he had done. There is a good chance that Lou Lamorello has a signed, sealed contract for any given free agent in the NHL at any given moment just because no one knows what's in that drawer, and he's done it multiple times. Lamorello's drawer, is there or is there not a contract that's signed in there? You'll only know once you open it. Anyway, it's a bad comparison. Folks, welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Uh, There has been movement in the world of trades, which means there has been movement in the world of what's going to happen with the Detroit Red Wings at the trade deadline. Lots to talk about. Uh, all things Detroit Red Wings, NHL hockey, and lots more. I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. On this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, we'll cover the Bohorvat trade, what that means for either one of those teams, who won, who lost, does this make sense, and how does this affect the Red Wings? We are uh, starting to sound like one of those memes, like uh, the Patriots had that a lot in the NFL. Like the, I think the hockey equivalent was, but how does this affect the Leafs losing the playoffs, that kind of thing? But yeah, how does this affect the Red Wings? Uh, we are joined this episode by Max Boltman, recently returned from Sweden, uh, to give his report on what he saw uh, tagging along with Rogla, uh, watching Marco Kasper, uh, Valinder, which I think is, we need to update our pronunciation of that one, William Valinder, and uh, plenty more there. Uh, we'll get into some NHL news if we have time, and then overtime. Uh, before that, this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, uh, we want to mention winged wheel podcast night or better said day at the lca what that is is a partnered event with the detroit red wings where we host a live episode of the winged wheel podcast special guests have featured uh ken daniels mickey redmond uh and others we have uh we do giveaways we do prizes merch uh apparel things like that q a meet and greet with the special guests and us the hosts uh, so it's a live episode of the podcast and you get access or I should say your ticket gets you into the Red Wings game as well. So that's against the Pittsburgh Penguins on Saturday, April 8th. So your ticket gets you access to both of those events. Uh, it's a discounted ticket. You get a special Winged Wheel podcast discount and a portion of the proceeds benefits the Jamie Daniels Foundation. DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP to get your ticket. Uh, they <laughs> We've sold out the gondola. We've run out of lower bowl tickets as well. Uh, we'll work on adding more of those. There's still some upper bowl seats uh, for those who are interested uh, for a great price. It's a great time. Benefits an awesome cause and it's a, a good way to kind of connect with the community. Uh, meet some special guests if you are uh, so woefully inclined meeting us, the hosts, and Evan will sign plenty of stuff for you. That's right. Your uh, your signature is getting better. It's yeah. not. I, I saw how you signed the Christmas cards. Oh, that was... Uh... 
That was very quick. That was a travesty. Yeah, that's not my actual signature. People love. I think it might be now. People loved it. It can be if if that's what people want. I will do it. I I can confirm that he does hold the pen like he uh, a toddler holds a crayon. DetroitRedWings.com slash WWP to get your Winged Wheel podcast day at the LCA tickets. Let's start with uh, Bo Horvat here. Uh, of course, I was on the highway, which meant news was liable to happen, as is tradition on this show. Uh, it was announced that the Vancouver Canucks and the New York Islanders swapped major pieces. Uh, the Islanders got Bo Horvat with 25% salary retained, so $1.375 million. And that's just for the rest of the season because Bo Horvat was a pending free agent. The Vancouver Canucks acquired Anthony Beauvillier, Atu Ratu, who was drafted just a couple of years ago, and a 2023 first-round pick that is conditional. It is top 12 protected, which means that if the Islanders pick ends up anywhere in the top 12 in the 2023 NHL draft, then the Vancouver Canucks don't get that pick anymore. They then get the 2024 first-round pick. Obviously, no conditions on that one. So the Islanders built in some protection for themselves there in what is going to be a very top-heavy draft. So Horvat with summer salary retained for Beauvillier, Ratu, and a conditional first. Initial reactions. The Islanders? Really? Without an extension already in place? You have to imagine there's an extension there, It's in right? the drawer. It has to be in the drawer. It has to be in the drawer. It, it is insane. It is an insane move with no extension in place. No. So to, to come to the defense of the Islanders, there are a bunch of reasons this makes sense. There's more that argue the opposite, but I'll give them the benefit of the doubt to start. Uh, the first and the one that I, I don't know for sure, but I heard Lamorello's contract is up this year. Although with Lamorello, you're never going to fully know. But if that's true, a GM in his last year is always going to do whatever he can for his own self-interest. So never overestimate that part of uh, what this could be. But more importantly, the Islanders are old. That is not a team that is set up well for the future. They have not had a lot of draft pick, premium draft picks in recent years. The average age of their forward group is about 42 their average cap hit is about $9 million. Like, this is, team is in one of the worst situations salary cap-wise for the foreseeable future. They almost don't have a choice, and we talked about this before. You have to play the market based on where your team's at. And even though the Islanders are not very good and... They have, according to Dom's model, a sub-20% chance to make the playoffs. They can't rebuild either. The contracts that they have do not allow them to. So you might as well acquire Bo Horvat. I'm surprised there was not an extension in place ahead of time. Don't know if Vancouver allowed them to, but... Uh, apparently not. Apparently they did almost no... Like, obviously, teams know. Like, Let's be real here. They know what the player is going to want. Uh, but I don't think Vancouver opened it up much, if at all. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure Lou has a really, really good idea of what Bo's asking for. But still, there's no, never any guarantees, even if it is likely. And yeah, the the Islanders, though, they have the great equalizer. You know how that old saying that always made us roll our eyes, just get in and you never know. And we would, in the Mrazic era, go, okay, well, Mrazic almost stole a series from the 
lightning once. So, yeah. you know, you could do that four times in a row, right? Well, the Islanders have are possibly the best goalie in the world this year in Elias Sorokin. So if they just get in with Bo Horvat added, yeah, they could make some noise. It, it's very much in the realm of possibility that they could make some noise. So do I, would I do this if I was the Islanders? No, of course not. They have a 19% chance to make the playoffs with him. If he doesn't extend, they gave away a premium first round pick. Uh, you know, Atu Ratu could still be like a third line center in the NHL, which is valuable. And Beauvillier's, you know, his contract's not ideal, but he's a usable middle six winger. That's a lot to pay for a rental for a team that does not have a good pipeline and is not in the playoffs. The way I look at this is I, I was actually pretty impressed by what Vancouver brought back. And I know that's not necessarily the most popular opinion, but I'm looking at this with full factoring in all of the conditions and context of where we are at, which is Vancouver essentially announced to the world that Bo Horvat was as good as gone. Bo Horvat essentially acknowledged as much. Pretty much everyone knew that Vancouver wasn't going to reach terms with Horvat. Most people could have uh, deduced as much just by looking at their cap friendly page, but it was weird that they just kind of let that leverage go. Even if, you know, 31 other GMs know you're, you're blowing hot air. You don't really say it out loud, but that was out there. So that's a drop in Horvat's value. They had, they just signed JT Miller again. It, it relates to the last point. They essentially boxed Horvat out with that money that drops Horvat's value. Did Horvat is a pending UFA that drops Horvat's value. So did they get a lot based on the fact that they have a premium first or second line center who's on pace to score more than 50 or around there this season? Uh, has always been a really good player, having a career year and a contract year, but still always a really good player. No, I, I don't think so. But considering the mess that is Vancouver, how Horvat's value has been tanked, um, and what's gone on publicly, I'm pretty impressed that they walked away with a pretty good first round pick. I think the Islanders were smart to protect it top 12. Um, Beauvillier, who once upon a time was a much better shooting talent, seems to have evaporated. But yeah, you can use him in your middle six. I think they'd be smart to flip him, honestly. And yeah, Achiratu is nothing to scoff at. I think that's a, they wanted project picks, guys who had a lot of potential who maybe haven't exactly panned out where they are. They want to see if they can maximize them. Take that swing. I'd love Detroit to do that a little more. I would, you know, Achiratu is a great example of that. So is it, was all of this good all in for Vancouver? No, they have a black hole on their team in multiple spots with multiple anchor contracts, but I was reasonably impressed with what they did with this one. It gives them more ammo to do their retool on the fly, I suppose. You know, we'll have to see how things wind up with the Islanders come the end of the season where they finish and if that protection actually kicks in. Um, if not, they've got a first-round pick for next year, and if the Islanders really implode, uh, that pick will look really good. So... Yeah, considering Vancouver Vancouvered themselves, um, the return they got was actually quite excellent. What What would you rather have happen if you're Vancouver? Get the 13th overall pick in this year's draft or get a blind 2024 first for next year? Oh, a blind 2024 first for The Islanders, sure. they're trending down, right? Like, there's no yeah. way the Islanders are better next year, right? Uh, could they be? They're I think older. It, I think good teams have more staying power than we give credit for, and it's they don't just disappear overnight. 
But yeah, they've got I, the goaltending. They still have some intriguing players, but can they really compete in the Metro next year? I guess that remains to be seen. But I mean, either way, I think Vancouver likes that first round pick. I, I, I that was probably for me the centerpiece in the in the in the trade. Yeah, and that might be the reason Vancouver um, did this one, did this trade early because there probably weren't a lot of teams around the Islanders slot in the draft order that were kicking around on Horvat and you know the 13th overall pick versus Tampa Bay's 30th overall pick hypothetically is a dramatic difference so obviously that being the centerpiece of this trade was probably a very big deal to the uh, to the Canucks which which makes a ton of sense and yeah either way if they get a mid-round pick in 2023 or you know the wild card pick in 2024 that that's a huge win for them um because as Evan mentioned, especially in the Metro, there's this weird three-horse race in the Metro right now between the Islanders, Pittsburgh, and Washington to see who can get old last. <laughs> yeah. yeah, who can hang on to the previous era's yeah. window, yeah. But yeah, Carolina's not going anywhere. New Jersey's very much on the up and up and looks like they're built to be very sustainable for a long time. And, you know, obviously the Rangers are the Rangers, et cetera. Yeah, and then there's Philly and Columbus, but... Uh, <laughs> They're at the children's table. Yeah. yeah. But that's still six teams competing for three to five playoff spots. So nothing's guaranteed for the Islanders here. And the way this season's gone, it's an uphill climb. And yeah, I there there's so many fascinating factors here. Like, cause again, I completely understand why the Islanders did this. They almost had to. They had to make some sort of big splash because as they were constructed before, Bo. Horvat, they weren't making the playoffs, and they were not in a position to get better for next year. Uh, with again, with their cap situation, so you know, you go all in. I wouldn't be surprised if this isn't their last move. I, I could, oh. I could see them being aggressive and, and trying to get uh, a head start on the trade deadline to crawl themselves back into the playoff race before everybody else loads up. It'd be smart. Yeah, I mean. Because the problem with the Horvat trade from the Islanders' perspective isn't the Horvat trade. It's everything they've done over the last five years that put them in the circumstance where they had to do this. So you're here. All right. I mean, I don't agree with anything they've done to get to this point, and I don't agree with this, but it's the, it's the hand that they have, and they have to play it. So uh, Brad said something in there. The teams around where the Islanders were in the draft slot. There weren't many other teams that were probably offering up first-round picks anywhere close to that. And you're probably thinking, well, you've been saying that the Red Wings were in on this. Yeah, and they were. Like, very, like Steve Eisman was and has been interested in Bo Horvat for some time. I don't know the details of specifically what was offered, but it does not take a rocket scientist to conclude that Detroit probably wasn't offering up. They weren't the, giving up a first, that's for sure. A 2023 first-round pick with the Bedard lottery on hand, not to mention Fantilli, Carlson, Meechkoff, and all those other guys. So uh, that was probably a big leg up for the Islanders. There were there were reports out there that you know some teams were frustrated because uh, apparently the Islanders or the Canucks didn't shop the Islanders offer. Maybe true, maybe not. That's honestly something you hear a lot from teams who are just peeved that they uh, they didn't get a chance to match when they'd been lowballing the entire time. Yeah, but <laughs> I do. I don't feel bad for them at all. No. Like, Put your chips on the table and, and play. Like, don't get all mad when they do business with somebody else. What do you mean Michael Rasmussen in a third wasn't worth it? 
Well, yeah, like what what was Vancouver interested in? We've heard the the Rasmussen thing, which we talked about last episode, and that would make sense. What would an equivalent offer have been? Like Rasmussen, you can take either like Mazer or Bertuzzi, depending on how you value either of them. And well, Bertuzzi wouldn't have been a, a first. Like the the closest Red Wings equivalent would have been Rasmussen, Mazer, and a first. That that's about what you were looking at. Now, there's some differences there. I think the Red Wings offer, had they offered that, would have been better. Not that Rasmussen is necessarily better than Beauvillier, but he's got a much more appealing contract than Beauvillier, which would have some extra value to it. Mazer versus Ratu, I'd probably give the edge to Mazer. And then obviously the Red Wings first round pick would be better. But that is like fractions of differences between these players. So that is about the package Detroit would have had to have offered. And again, that was the trade without an extension. So if there was an extension, if Vancouver gave Detroit permission to speak to Horvat, they agreed on a contract and a contract was signed and then traded, that price goes up. I disagree. I think these prices are all factored. I think this is all factored in and everyone's just playing coy because they have to. Yeah, I, I mean, if it's a wink, wink, nudge, nudge, the contract's in the drawer, sure. But The NHL would never. But no. Until we know that or we see that extension signed, we have to go on the information that this is what they paid for Bo Horvat as a rental. Well, we know what Lou Lamorello is doing as the morning ends on March 3rd. Oh, yeah, yeah. No. Just to just to steal the news cycle at that moment. Again, I think we can all assume it's it's coming. Otherwise, otherwise we have another topic to they're talk They're kind about. of yeah. insane. But if it doesn't, again, so do I, would I have made this trade if I was the Red Wings? No. They were they were right to not outbid this. That was going to be my question. I agree. Yeah. I'm. There were, I think there were versions of this trade that I would have been okay with, from a Red Wings perspective. But just once you start to get into first round picks, is when I get really squeamish. I think there's player deals, like uh, uh, roster players that the Red Wings have right now that I absolutely would have been okay with. But overall, I, I get squeamish when you talk prospects or firsts, especially in a player uh, in Horvat situation. So that's that's the trade. We've talked a lot about how this may have been the Red Wings for some time. Obviously, it's not now. Yeah, there's a chance Horvat comes in the summer if he doesn't actually get signed. But until he's not signed, like until like that's not worth speculating on it unless we know for sure there isn't an extension. In which case, thank you, Lou. Uh, does this change anything for you if you're Steve Eisman with the information that you know Horvat was an option for him? What does this change for you? The Red Wings trade deadline, the Red Wings outlook, Larkin's contract, etc. Doesn't change much. Does definitely doesn't trade the change the trade deadline. Um, this probably gives Larkin more leverage in contract negotiations because now, if again, assuming Horvat stays on the island, Marco Casper is your number one center next year, like. <laughs> It, the number if Larkin and I want to preface this by saying I think we've been going too hard at what if Larkin leaves just for the sake of acknowledging that side of it I'm going to qualify this by saying I think Larkin stays but if yeah if Larkin goes your number one center next year is without adding someone else is Andrew Kopp and then you hope Marco Casper gets makes the team and gets up to speed that is not ideal not, we're not going to do that yeah Joe Valeno's on pace for 25 points this year love Joe Valeno He's a great down the lineup player, but he's on pace for about 25 points this year. And right now he's the number two center next year if Larkin leaves. So 
Let's get out of this hypothetical. I don't like it. It's it, making me sad. It, uh, <laughs> what this does is it really almost makes Larkin, I don't even know what to call it, the fork in the road. Larkin stays, okay, you probably keep trying to push forward. Larkin leaves. The re- the rebuild lives. They won't have a choice. And it's even an uphill battle with Larkin staying. And, like, we've acknowledged that and we've talked about that. But at least that gives you, like, you know, you get a Pasternak, a Timo Meyer, an equivalent player in a trade or whatever. You can see the path to making that work. But... Horvat was one of those options to be the 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 quote unquote supporting cast. He's not. That market gets narrower and more expensive. And Larkin's looking at this, going, "I see the market." Well, I should say Larkin's agent <laughs> is looking to go. I see the market. I see what your options are. Here's Dylan's number. <laughs> and then Stevie has to be really betting on either a he knows at the last second he'll come up to Larkin's price or. He's betting on Larkin really liking the city of Detroit. I think it's the latter. I, I I just see like there's not so much distance between where the two camps are at where I'm that concerned uh, about finding a middle ground. But I do think, yeah, in the end, Larkin's going to want to stay. He'll he'll take whatever that middle point is, call it 8.75, call it 8.5, call it 8.25. It depends on how much Steve wants to squeeze. Uh, the cap is going up, so I'm a little want to think that it's going to be closer to 8.5 or 8.75, something like that. Whatever it might be, uh, I just think that Larkin's going to want the Detroit factor, the captaincy factor, the this is his team, he wants to see through the rebuild factor. Uh, I got a text from a good friend and they were listening to one of our Larkin conversations and they said, you know, I, I understand that you, you want to acknowledge the very real possibility that Larkin leaves, but are you really worried about it? And I said, honestly, I do think the deal gets done. That's where my money is right now. I'm not, not worried about it. Like there's a, there's a small amount where I'm like, yeah, this, this could happen and you have to be realistic about it. Uh, but what am I actually worried about from a fan perspective here? I'm worried about if this goes past the trade deadline. And Eidsman doesn't sign him before the trade deadline. Larkin has his no trade clause, so he can he holds that power. I maintain that if they decided it's not going to work out, I don't think Larkin would burn the Red Wings like that. But then again, you don't know how much animosity, if any, is in those conversations, so I won't speculate there. Uh, but if this goes past the trade deadline, then yeah, they're they're pretty locked into having to get this done. They have to get this done. Yeah, if you lose Larkin before the trade deadline, does Detroit become, you know, one of the top five teams in the Bedard lottery? I don't think so. I think there's just too much junk beneath them in the standings. There's too much Chicago and Arizona. Yeah, far too much. And uh, we've seen bad teams win games down the stretch. Uh, You can point to the exact win streak that moved Detroit out of the position that ended up winning the Jack Hughes lottery. Like, it's just the way it shakes out. Intentionally trying to tank like that, you have to start it way sooner, and that's what Chicago and Arizona have done. But you you need to go into that trade deadline, which we've talked about ad nauseum, is such a pivotal pivotal one for the Red Wings with the knowledge of what are you doing with Dylan Larkin. And I say need to, and, that, and that's in my opinion, and there's a real chance that we go past it, and Eisenman has, you know, uh, a, a strong spine, I'll say, to keep it a little bit more PG. And, I mean, that's why he's GM, and we've seen him do it before. Uh, 
but that would the anxiety level goes up for me once we go past the trade deadline and there's no Larkin contract. So that that's my wish, Steve. If you're listening, if you know the if you know the number, everyone's going to settle on. Everyone that's come to the table, bring some coffee, just get it done, and uh, do the fans a little favor before the trade deadline. That's just me though. Yeah, and like I said, that's exactly what I mean with Dylan Larkin being. Horvat signing now making Larkin the fork in the road because he has to have a plan yeah. going into the deadline because it's either this is the team going forward with or without Larkin and that is two very different paths. Well, we'll see. To everyone who, and I think, uh, I mean, we talked a lot about the reporting on on Horvat based on information that we had and we didn't probably didn't do proportionally as much of would this have been the right move. To everyone who really hated the move, and I know, Brad, you especially didn't like it um, as it played out. I'm still, uh, you know, pro sign Horvat in the offseason for a reasonable number, if that makes sense. Uh, but yeah, I wasn't giving up a first in futures for him. Yeah. For everyone who hated the idea of that trade, congratulations. There, There is one less thing to worry about in the many things to worry about. Not Maybe not worry, but to pay attention to closely if you're a Red Wings fan right now. Uh, that's a lot of you know, spooky what's going to happen in the future. Let's get to something a little bit more positive. Uh, we were joined by Max Boltman of The Athletic Detroit, uh, and he has just concluded a second trip to Sweden uh, with The Athletic, uh, where he covered, this time, Rogla. So he took a look at Marco Casper, what William Valinder is doing over there, and uh, a lot of other great stories. So without further ado, Beers with Boltman, our returning segment. Enjoy. Max, the last time you went to Sweden and you came back, I... Uh, I kind of cut you off at the knees because you, you were gracious enough to come on the podcast after you got back and we talked about all the stories, but then I made a little, I took a little jab at you because you went to a McDonald's in Sweden and that has followed you around. And every time I see one of those jokes on Twitter, I just cringe a little bit because I know. Is that how that got out? Yeah. I'm, I've been wondering that. Like, I why did I ever tell anyone that I did that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so sorry man and that's a big lesson and like i need to stop underestimating you know uh i, I there's no throwaway comments on this podcast because people can rewind and, <laughs> and, and hit play again so you just got back from sweden and this is no your opportunity to, i did no. not go to mcdonald's <laughs> <laughs> i actually went where lars told me to eat so uh, I went to this burger bar called roast i think or roost i, I don't know if there's the accent over the over i think it's just roast uh, awesome burger. He he recommended it. Uh, Allison actually has still been talking about that burger since we got back. So that place was awesome, and it was not McDonald's. Like, let's get that very clear. We're getting better and better each trip. If uh, if the Athletic sends you to Sweden again, you'll be eating at uh, Michelin star restaurants. I'm sure. We ate at a, some really good places this time. I I was uh, I can't say my like food choices were all that much more adventurous. I'm still pretty much a meat and potatoes guy, but right. much much more like you know. You're somewhere else, eat like you're somewhere else kind of thing, you know? That's good. I'm happy to hear, personally. And also, I didn't, it, I didn't do his weird pizza, though. The curd no, banana. No, man. He needs help for that. That's not, that's an affront to... No mankind. disrespect. It's just, but it's not for me. No, yeah. Folks, Max Boltman of The Athletic Detroit recently returned uh, from his uh, trip to Sweden to observe some key Red Wings prospects. How are you doing, Max? I'm good. I'm back. Uh, I'm back feeling like I'm in the land of the living. It actually took a lot longer this time to, to readjust back. So, yeah. um, but I'm, I'm doing good and I'm happy to be on the other side of most of the stories. I got one more project story from that trip that um, could take a little longer to put together, 
but um yeah i got the casper story out today uh valinder last week and uh yeah so I'm, I'm making progress on all that stuff okay speaking of stories i'm we're not going to dive deep into this but i just need to know yeah did you have any pre pre-written words about bo horvat that you had to delete no uh Heck thankfully um uh, <laughs> i i wrote that Harmon and i wrote uh, a piece last week that is kind of breaking down why I didn't think it like ultimately made sense, but what the appeal is, if it is and what it's going to cost. And, um, I'm glad we got it out when we did, because if we had waited until yesterday, it would have had a real short shelf life. Woof. Yeah. Uh, okay. So you talked about a couple of Red Wings prospects in a couple of articles that are out. Uh, I'm going to preface this all by saying folks, uh, Max has, uh, already published three pieces related to his Sweden trip. One while he was there, He's a maniac and two since he's been back. And I know there's another big one coming up, Max, that we were talking about. So if you don't already subscribe to the Athletic Detroit, please do. Max is again pound for it's it's must read. It's the first thing I do in the morning when I see he has an, he has an article. Um and these are great pieces. So let's start with uh Valinder, Max. You were talking about um the Red Wings uh defensive prospect. What did you see in his game and, and what stood out to you? Well, I think that it's, it's what stand, what's supposed to stand out with Valinder, right? It's, it's the skating at that size. And, and I think that's always been the package. Um, the first game I was at, I wouldn't say any of the Rogla players looked all that good. They'd had a tough night. They lost six to two. Um, but I think you still, see, you still see tools even in a game like that. And in the second game, um, really over the course of the week, like I, I watched practices too, but I, I thought you still saw the maturation that his game has kind of undergone. It's, it's not, trying to, you know, rely so much on those tools constantly, even though they can help him problem solve when he needs it. But you also saw him, you know, make, you know, cut back and, and, and regroup or make the quick pass back to his D partner rather than trying to, you know, do everything up, up ice. But you still see the ability to make that stretch pass, to lead the rush, to transport the puck. Um, and I thought he took a couple of good routes defending too that, that are, it's important to see. I mean, Jake Wallman, we talk about this year, a guy who's an elite skater has some size to him, right? Like defensively, that's as much an asset as it is offensively. Even though I think we think of skating as this offensive asset, I think it's it's as big an asset uh, defensively, and that's what you needed to see. I still don't think that's his calling card of his game yet. I think he's a more offensively inclined D, but the Red Wings want him to be a two way D, and I think he's going to have that ability to be. And I think. You know, my big takeaway, and this was the story, is it's really the maturation of, of William Valander, and, and that's that's what I think you're seeing. Usually prospects who aren't, you know, the biggest names, whoever the Detroit's first pick was in that draft, uh, who are overseas, they get overlooked a little bit. So I know Valinder uh, caught some people by surprise when uh, his name was starting to get out there in terms of, uh, uh, you know, really progressing well. So it, with Rogla, he's... Uh, I think they're most utilized player by time on oh, ice yeah. right now. Yeah. Significantly. So, and from what I gather and from reading your piece here, um, that all tracks. Like he is, you know, really has been really successful so far to date uh, in the development path. And he's looking like he can challenge for an NHL roster spot. Would that be a fair statement? I think he'll have the opportunity to, um, you know, I, I thought last year when I saw Simon Edvinson, I, I thought Simon Edvinson was going to come over and make the team. Like I thought that full stop, um, that didn't happen. You know, Valinder plays a bigger role than Edvinson did last year. I think his numbers are ahead of where Edvinson's were last year. I, I still think I really liked Edvinson's defensive stick, I'll say. Um, but you know, I, I, it wouldn't, you know, Valinder, or Valinder is a, a year older than Edvinson period, which means 
his play in the SHL this year is two years beyond what Edvinson would have been when I saw him last year. I think he'll have the chance. My guess would still be Grand Rapids, but you know, we'll see what happens going into camp. We'll see what the Red Wings look like. Where's Oli Mata at? Is he in Detroit still? Um, all that stuff. So, and, and obviously where's Edvinson at in his progression, but my guess is Grand Rapids, I guess is a long way of saying, but I think you'll have at least a chance. And when you play a role that big in a, in a league like the SHL, like you got a chance for sure. All right. Off to the, uh, the big name in terms of uh, the, the, Great hope for Detroit in terms of their center future, Marco Casper, and what he's been doing over there. Uh, I've only really heard really strong things about Casper's game and that it's uh, even underappreciated without the attention he's gotten since becoming a Detroit Red Wings first-round draft pick. Uh, Marco Casper and his development path, where do you... Well, first of all, let's say, uh, what did you see from him while you are over there? So, in his draft year, I I think I was on him pretty early. I really liked him, especially... um, you know, just the profile that I think fit for Detroit. And I, a lot of the things I saw, the, the compete, the physicality for a young player, but the skating, the intelligence, the responsibility, right? Like that's all there. Um, I don't know that I really gave enough credit to his offensive game. And I think, you know, I think that that's probably a pretty universal um, thing. You know, that was the big question is how much is he going to score? I think you can still ask the question, right? But the guy has the puck a lot. Like you watch his game and, you know, can that even occasionally get him into a little bit of trouble? Maybe. But like the guy has the puck a lot. He transports the puck. He retrieves the puck. He shoots the puck. He goes in, you know, he, he can make a play with his feet. He can make a play with a pass. Like there's a lot of nice elements to his game. It, it's not like we're talking about, you know, Connor McDavid hands necessarily here or, or Nathan McKinnon or whatever. Um so don't don't get that idea in your head, but like there's a lot of really good elements to this player. I like I think one of the names I, I would throw around it, um in his draft or a couple of them was I think Anthony Sorelli and I think it might have been Corey who used Sam Bennett. But I think there's even more offense than that. And so I I might have probably undersold that part of his game at that time. Um, you know, where exactly is he gonna fall? I don't know, but like one of the names I think I remember using was Nazem Kadri. I think that might even be a more apt uh, comp at this point after seeing him. And, and I mean, Kadri's coming off an unreal year. I'm not necessarily saying it's that, you know, with whatever he had 90 points with the avalanche, but in terms, I really think there's a, like a fifties to sixties point center here. And, and, and maybe it's more, right? Like, I don't know that I saw Matty Beniers being a point per game center right away either, but you know, I think there's certainly, uh, a very well-rounded player here. And I don't just mean that to mean defense. Like there's a lot of elements. That's what I've noticed with this game too is, first of all, agree fully. Like I don't think very many people who who look at prospects gave Casper enough credit. I think those who are really in tune with the Swedish uh, uh, hockey world were kind of banging that drum from the beginning. Uh, but yeah, definitely there's uh, he's kind of been proving people wrong step by step. But yeah, in terms of what you notice from his game, that well-roundedness, and then as a byproduct of that, NHL readiness like he is playing the kind of game where it should translate again not to say he's an automatic shoe and to make the roster but it, it kind of gives him a leg up in terms of he plays the kind of game that gets you onto a roster sooner fair I think that's a really good way to put it like I, you know just like I said with Evanson I'm 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 I think I know I need to be a little more um reserved in how readily I proclaim stuff like that but um the stylistic elements, right? Like you talk about what, it, what does it take to adjust to North America? You got to be ready to play with the speed. You got to be ready for the increased physicality. Those might be the two 
best things in Marco Casper's game. He's a great skater. He plays with a ton of pace and he is not afraid to mix it up. He's not afraid to throw a hit. He's not afraid to take a hit around the net. Like these, we're talking about probably V2 strengths of his game and his compete and, and his pace for me. Um, so like, you know, yeah, it would not surprise me. Like the question as with all Red Wings prospects is what kind of role are they going to have? Right. The Red Wings aren't going to want to keep someone, um, in Detroit to play a fourth line role when they could have a top line role in Grand Rapids. But if he could play a top nine role, which in this case probably means a third line role, you know, I don't think that's out of the question. So um, that's, that is what it's going to come down to, right? He, he probably has to prove that he is more deserving of like a third line center spot than like a Joe Valeno, for example. And I think that's possible. Valeno's I expect to keep getting better too, though, right? Like we see the kind of steps Michael Rasmussen took at that same age, 21, 22 years old. And, wouldn't shock me one bit if Valeno, you know, takes another step there. So, um, I mean, that's a good thing, I guess, for the Red Wings if that happens. But um, I, I do think he'll challenge because I think just you, you put it exactly right. Like his style is what I think it it plays into what is the most challenging part about transitioning to North America. There is also, you know, mocking up uh, too far into the future, which is what we're both want to do, I think. Uh, you you imagine a trade deadline or a couple trade deadlines where the Red Wings really leverage uh, the wingers that they have and move them to maybe try to get a center or, or, or get other pieces. There could be a slot also for Casper on the wing uh, just to start, right? Which is an uncommon, I think you mentioned that. You start at the wing yeah. and you move to center eventually. Larkin did that, right? Like, you know, I, th- yeah. I think you can you can certainly say you know, they could break him in there. Um, but they have also like the Red Wings under Iserman have mostly kept those guys at center, right? Like they've even Rasmussen, who I think most people kind of believe he's better on the wing at this point. Like they've, they've tried to keep him at center um, pretty consistently. You know, I, I think Valeno's best as a center, but I think it's worth noting his faceoff percentage is below 40%. They're still going to him at center. Like they want to, they've wanted these guys to play at, at center, when they view him as center. So it, it's definitely possible. It's happened many times in many organizations, including in Detroit. But I do think in Detroit, they haven't done it as much under Iserman that way, right? Right. And it, I mean, this all kind of leads to the last point about Casper, which is that he is by far Detroit's most important prospect, right? Not that they have a, well, they have the opposite of a stellar center core, but he is like, they need him to land. Otherwise, they're in a really, really bad spot. They do. I think you could say the exact same thing about Edvinson, to be honest. But um, yes, I mean, like at least there's more depth on D. I get your point there. Yeah. Um, he's super important. I mean, I, I think I think both of those two guys are players you're looking to contribute, you know, sooner rather than later, and to become top half of your lineup pieces. And and if they do, you look a lot different than you look today. If they don't, oh boy, the clock, you know, the calendar has moved, and and you haven't, and that's that's a scary thing. So. Um, the stakes there are huge and there's no doubt about that. And I, you know, I think it's a lot of pressure uh, on both of those guys. And I think that's one of the tough things, the sneaky toughest things I think about being a rebuilding team is you don't get to have prospects just like take their time and um, get to kind of fly under the radar and help you when they can. I mean, I think about even like a Cole Perfetti who was not, it was not impossible that the Red Wings could have drafted Cole Perfetti at fourth overall the year. They took Lucas Raymond and said he goes to Winnipeg. It takes a little bit longer um, but I think he's a really good player now. I, I still think Lucas Raymond's a better player, but I think Lucas Raymond gets a lot more scrutiny because the Red Wings need him to be way more than Winnipeg needs Cole Perfetti to be right now on a given night. And I, I think that's a really tough disadvantage that prospects face, you know, on rebuilding teams. Like you're asked to be a savior or something very close to that. Um, 
at age 19, at age 20. And, you know, that's usually not how it works, even for really, really good players. Which I'm sure probably was a pretty big factor in Sider and Raymond's respective slumps at different points this year. Sure. Uh, uh, some keys uh, from your all your articles regarding your trips to Sweden has been the involvement of Nick Cronwall, uh, uh, Hakan Anderson, uh, other key Red Wings players in terms of, uh, or I shouldn't say players, executives in terms of uh, development, drafting, etc. Uh, and then on the you know related to that is the Abbots and how they run Rogla. Yeah. What kind of both direct support system and ancillary support system are the Red Wings working with that you've noticed? And do this without uh, spoiling too much of your upcoming article on The Athletic. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I I think I'd say the Abbots are a big reason for, I mean, first of all, just why Rugla is where they are, right? Like they came in, they're an organization that, you know, recent history certainly had been kind of up and down from the SHL to the Allsvenskan. It's a relegation situation, relegation promotion. And they would kind of bounce between them, never really threatening. They get there and they all of a sudden become one of the top, you know, over the last three, four years, you can argue the top um, club, certainly in terms of the regular season. They made it to a final. They made it, you know, another deep run. They had the COVID year. They, they could have made a deep run. Um, they've been awesome as a, as a program. And, and then they've transformed that place. Um, and I think that's, They've, part of the way they've done it is with young players. And I think that that's appealed to, you know, Walinder or Valinder mentioned that to me. Like he said, like, you know, that's one of the things that stood out to him is what they had done and how they'd worked with young players. You know, um, Casper ends up at Rogla because his dad, um, who's an agent in, in Austria, um, had had some clients who played with the Abbots in, in Lulio in, in the SHL. And so, like, they're in a lot of ways responsible for bringing in um, some of these prospects here, but they've also helped develop them really well. Everybody knows, I think, how Mort Sider's year there went and um, the best defenseman in the SHL that year and, and really launched him to Detroit. Um, and I think when you see the steps that guys like Valinder and Casper are taking, they are a huge part of it. But I, I do agree with you that I think Nicholas Cromwell is a, a really important character in this too. Um, Valinder told me that he's there like twice a month. I think he was there the week before I was there. So I timed that poorly. Could have... Uh, you know, when I went to Ferlunda, it was while Lidstrom was there. Would have been great to, to be at Rugla while Cronwall was there. But um, nonetheless, I, like it definitely sounds like he's made an impact. And I know he mentioned kind of angling. I talked about the routes he was taking. That's pretty much exactly what I mean. So no surprise that Nick Lidstrom has his or Nick Cronwall has his fingerprints all over that, right? Um, and I, I, I remember I, I was going back looking at old articles when I was writing the Valinder one to see kind of like what, what were the, the notes, you know, early in this guy's career. I think I found something from Sean Horkoff saying like, you know, that's a relationship, Valinder and Cronwell, that they really wanted to nurture and emphasize because they felt like it was going to be really productive for him. Um, all indications are that, that it has been. So um, I, I definitely think, you know, that there's a good infrastructure there. The Red Wings have been, I don't know if it's luck or if it's not luck, um, but they've been fortunate one way or the other. They've, they've benefited from having their guys in Sweden in these really good programs, different programs for sure and how they do it between Ferlunda and Rogla. But um, two of the four or five best programs in Sweden, you know, I, I don't think I would be off base in saying uh, Larza will, will certainly correct me if I do, you know, no, no shade at uh, Vakwa or uh, Hleftia or, uh, you know, Ferristad, but Look at that pronunciation. Uh, yeah, oh, I just got to flex on him a little bit. No big deal. <laughs> <laughs> a 
Okay. Uh, on that note, we are running into risky territory where I have to start to keep up with you on Swedish pronunciations, um, <laughs> which I will absolutely not do. So let's bring this back to Detroit now. Did Elmer say his name? I, I, I haven't listened to the episode yet. He, uh, Max, he said in, in much kinder terms, he does not give a shit. You oh. can say what you want. Yeah, he said, he said, uh, Soderblom, Soderblom, those are both fine. I know for a fact that plenty of people, I would, I would wager more people back home say Soderblom, but he doesn't seem to care about carrying that over. Well, the thing is, like, I, I only know it really from, like, the Seymour broadcast. So the only way yeah. I can, like, hear it in my head is the way, like, the, the announcers would say it after he does something just absolutely nutty, right? Like, he's, like, right. you know, taken his stick and gone all the way around a player and then cut back and scored or whatever. Uh, I can only hear it in, like, that level of enthusiasm of, like, Elma Sadablum! <laughs> so I wouldn't even know how to say it in a regular tone of voice. I I completely understand, especially with how much time we've had to watch prospects before they reach the Red Wings, but I've I've started to just subscribe to the easy, and this is a cop-out, but the consistent model of whatever they tell a broadcaster, you oh. know, either in Grand Rapids or Detroit, that's what, well, that's what we're going with. I don't think people appreciate the amount of, like, detail that Ken puts into that. Like, oh, you know, at, at camp, he'll tell me, right, I'll run into him and he'll be like, you know, have you heard this guy pronounce his name? And I'll be like, no, I... Um, you know, this is how I think I heard it when I would watch him in Sweden and he'd be like, okay. And then he would like go ask the guy and get him like, okay, so oh, what yeah. is it? And he, he would just have it like down. Right. And I know people, you know, with like Jonathan Berggren, right? Like I think people were like, just say Berggren, but it's like, that's what it is. Like he did, he is not trying to put any stank yeah. on it. Like that is, he asked, he got the detail. Like if you hear Ken say it, it's just right. Like period. Yeah. And I don't think that applies to all broadcasters because you've seen other broadcasts who don't take that care. Uh, totally. especially with like opposing teams, but yeah, no, he d- absolutely does all of his homework on that front. A hundred percent. He is, he's as good as it gets in, in the sport, oh. in sports, I will say. Absolutely. Like would go to bat for that t- seven days a week. Uh, okay. Sports, the Red Wings, the trade deadline coming up. Uh, again, you are free from write, having to write even more Horvat articles. Um, <laughs> But knowing that that was an area that the Red Wings were interested in, right? It wasn't just, you know, fake smoke there that was actually, uh, those tires were being kicked pretty heavily, but ultimately Horvat ended up going to the Islanders. Uh, it doesn't change the fact that this is, okay, this is uh, another fair or not question here. In my opinion, this has the potential to be the most pivotal trade deadline the Red Wings have had since Eisenman jumped on the team uh, because and this is related to what he did last. He it'd be related to both what he did last summer and related to Bertuzzi and Verona's trade value essentially evaporating, so to speak. Do you think Bertuzzi's has evaporated? Not, not to the same degree as Verona's. Uh, I would still give it like maybe a ten to twenty percent chance that a team pays for him on reputation, uh, or a team believes that Bertuzzi's struggles are a mix of rust and just not fitting into the Lalonde system, and they think. He could do well there, which I actually don't think would be a bad bet. I just don't know that you could ask for like a first plus for him anymore. Not plus. I I think I think the question is, does he get a first? I guess I would lean, maybe not, but I would have said like lock, yes, a year ago, minus the mm-hmm. vaccine. And like it's a competitive market for uh wingers, I think, but like you know. A guy of his profile, a little bit of edge to him, not a little bit, edge to him for sure. If you retain some cap, it's probably as good of a number as you're going to get a guy on. Playoff track record. 
you don't have to look, he's having a, a bad year. Like I'm not going to sugarcoat that, but I think it's a pretty clear outlier year in the last, his entire NHL career, right? Like there have not been any like this. So I think it's diminished, but I think it's not a VAP. I think you can still see a good, I think you can still see a good return there. What does it look like? I don't know. Like I'm doing my who says no mailbag right now. And uh, that's one of the, obviously no shocker, one of the ones that I'm, I'm wrestling with, but I think there's value there, but it, you know, just the fact that we're talking about it, whatever the value is, if he gets traded, the Red Wings don't have him. And I think that speaks to your point about how pivotal um, of a mm-hmm. deadline this is. Because that's that's a, well, what we've talked about as a core piece for years. And if you, if you trade him, then you don't have him, right? That's, that's how that works. Last time I checked. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, a, a lot of people still will incessantly suggest trade him and then sign him back in the summer because uh, he's an unrestricted UFA. Which um, never happens. Almost never, no. No. So, and that's actually another thing is have the injuries in the outlier season maybe uh, increase the Red Wings odds of signing Bertuzzi. And then I, it also I, begs the question of, do you want to sign Bertuzzi long-term if you're the Red Wings? I think it increases the signability. Um, but it's still a real good question of whether that's something the Red Wings should do. I mean, he's going to be 28, I think, at the end of this month. Um what is the term on that? Like, do you really think you're going to contend in the next three to four years? I think you should hope to. I think the moves from last summer says they at least would like to take start taking those steps to. But you're weighing the opportunity cost of whatever that cap hit is plus uh, whatever you could have gotten in a trade. I think the more value is probably on trading him. But I can understand, especially if they see a opportunity to get him on a contract that they did not think was possible six months ago um and you bet on the bounce back i I see the argument there no doubt i mean he's a guy that brings a ton of energy to a team he's obviously got chemistry with dylan larkin even if it hasn't happened that way this year when they've been together but it hasn't happened for him that way with anyone it's a it's a real i think it increases signability there's no doubt about that i think there's just still a really good debate to be had about uh what are you willing to do, right? What would you do? Oh, I, I, I think I would have advocated for, you know, six or seven years if we were having this conversation at this time last year. Um, yeah. Probably for more money than I'd care to admit, but... This time last year we were talking about, is he doing a Brad Marchand where he just at 26, right. 27 becomes a star, right? Yeah. And it's it's really hard to attach, you know, the hand, two broken hands to the back, um, and then there was the groin totally. recently. And I, I know you're, we're making, at least I, to a certain degree, I'm making mountains out of molehills, but you get concerned, right? Like you see the trend of injuries, most of them avoidable, some of them not. Like some of it, I think he genuinely gets in the way of pucks a little bit more than he should. Um, and then you see the kind of incompatibility with this new uh, style of game that Lalone wants the Red Wings to play and agree with that style or not. That's what the Red Wings have, and Eisenman's not going to make another coaching change on account of Bertuzzi. So it all kind of begs, like, I just don't see a, a need to sign. I wouldn't see incentive to sign him longer than, you know, four or five years in my mind. And at that, which I think still could be attractive to Bertuzzi for the right price, but you know, I mean, they got to sign Sider, they got to sign Raymond. Larkin very obviously still needs a deal. It's a lot scarier of a prospect than it was before for me. Yeah, and and I think that you know I don't think it's an unfair. I, I think it's unfair to call him injury prone because you're right. Like it's not like he's got one injury that keeps happening over and over again. But 
I don't think it's unfair to look at the injuries as a byproduct of the way that he plays, right? Like, and it's the reason you love him. It feels terrible to hold that against him. Um, but throughout his career, I mean, when he was coming up, he battled the concussions and he seems to have gotten that, you know, past that. Like, that has not been an issue for him in Detroit. But like, when you're in the way, when you're playing a gritty game, it means you get hit by pucks and it means you, you know, you get into situations where you're going to get tangled up or things are going to pull, right? Like Larkin has had honestly a similar thing because he plays, I think, a harder game than he probably even gets credit for. Um, and he's missed a little bit of time and had to play through a lot, you know, the, the hand that he played through. Um, I think we're still talking about him as above a point per game if, if, if that doesn't happen if he is, or even if he just doesn't try to play through it, but he does. Um you know, these guys are sacrificing here. And so it feels wrong to hold it, hold it against them. I don't think it's an unfair consideration though, because if you're signing a guy, you're signing him because of that style. And in some ways, if, if it seems like that style is going to take him out of the lineup, you have to weigh it. Right. I think, I don't think you can ignore it. So the Red Wings are currently positioned where Bedard isn't impossible. You know, yep. if the end of the season goes a certain way, you might have a, uh, a dart at the dartboard, so to speak. Uh, the playoffs aren't impossible, but the way they're playing, they're not exactly trending towards challenging for that. Uh, Bertuzzi's value at least somewhat diminished, or at least it's going to be a tougher sell. Verona, um, I think a lot would have to change. Uh, for he just that cleared situation. waivers. I mean, I, I I don't know that there is trade value there, right? I mean, yeah. I guess you if you retain half, maybe, but I don't know that there is. It's not going to be for the same trade value that we would have been no. talking about a year ago. No. Uh, and I, I think we talked the last episode on the podcast, and you feel free to disagree, but I think the Red Wings are right now playing to where everyone realistically expected them to be based mm-hmm. on the lineup. Uh, but the the change in the value of Bertuzzi and Verona and the fact that Larkin is unsigned has left a lot of people uneasy. So all of that factored in. What do you do this upcoming trade deadline if you're Steve Eiserman? I'm selling. Um, I'm selling to get, you know, I... The ideal, I think you're looking for more Jake Wallmans. You're looking for whether they're prospects or players who you really like, who you think are close to contributing potentially as soon as next season. I think people forget that Jake Wallman was either this. I mean, I don't know how you want to. We don't, we'll never know how the Red Wings viewed it, right? But I think in how we assessed it, we talked about Jake Wallman like the second piece in that trade to the second round pick and Oscar yeah. Sundqvist as the third. Yep. I think there's a real chance that, like, we look back at that now. I mean, he's Jack Wallman is clearly the top asset in that trade now. I mean, Oscar Sunquist, what could he? He could bring you a third round pick at this deadline potentially. Uh, I mean, that's a great trade. I guess just as an aside, but my point is, you're you're looking for players like that who I think are you know the approximate value there was probably a second or a third round pick, whatever. However, you view Jake Wallman. So if you have the opportunity to get a guy like that rather than a second or third round pick, I'm taking it. And if you just have the chance to get the second or third round pick, I'm taking that too. And I can either trade it for someone like Vili Huso, uh, or I can, you know, hang on to it, make a pick and try to get a prospect in, in what should be a really interesting draft. I can use to trade up if I'm picking 12th and I want to get to 10th or something, you know, trades in the top 10 don't really happen much, but, um, or if you're, if you want to get up from your second, your, your, your early second rounder and you want to get to the top of the second round for a guy who fell, you know, it's good to have those things. So I'm selling. Um, and if there's a piece that, that I think can help me in the near term, I guess I'm not afraid to trade a draft pick for that either, but it, it's not with the eye toward this year. It's with the eye toward next year or beyond. We're going to have a bigger round table. I think once we can wrangle Prashanth, once he's uh, free from his son's he's hard grasp, to wrangle. 
He is. He's a tough man to book. Uh, last question here. Dylan Larkin is unsigned. Um, by all accounts, he's anywhere from him and the Red Wings are anywhere from a, a million to like, let's call it 1.4 apart and ask in that range. Uh, overall outlook, still think it gets done. Yeah. You think? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I I do. I, I just think that in the end, both of them want to want this to happen. And I think that it will. And I think, you know, we see this happen sometimes where it seems like it should happen and it takes so long that you start to question, is it going to the, you know, the two, I mean, obviously I think everyone's covered the Steven Stamkos ground by now, but I think the other one that's a really interesting comparison doesn't directly involve either of these guys is a guy who I think you can make really good comparisons with Larkin their whole careers. And it's Gabriel Landeskog. I don't think Larkin's going to sign for the number that Gabriel Landeskog did. But I think you saw a saga play out where it got really close to the 11th hour of, is Gabriel Landeskog going to not be a Colorado Avalanche? Like, how can this be? And in the end, the fact that Colorado had the eighth year and he wanted to be there, got him at a number that maybe was not his first choice, but was, you know, he felt good about. I don't know that I see, you know, I I don't think Larkin should have to do that, I guess is what I'm saying. Like, if I'm Steve Eiserman, I would have tried to split the difference and maybe even then some by now because I just think even a million dollars is not worth having to replace that guy. But I do think that they will find a way to get it done. Wherever it falls, it's like, you know, somewhere between eight and nine, right? Like, I just think it has to get done. And, and when you consider, you know, what it is on seven years, there's that argument. You can consider the comparables and just the – you know, the fact that Larkin does have leverage here, even though people want to treat it like he doesn't, he's got a full no trade clause and a team that like has to have him um, or, you know, cannot certainly can't lose him for nothing. Like that is not leverage in the Red Wings favor. I think as some people talk about it, that is leverage in Larkin's favor. Um, they got to find a middle ground here. And I think they will because I think they both want it to happen. Um, you know, I, 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 that's just what I think. And I, it's, I think it's going to happen. I would be floored if it doesn't, and that would be a just a shocking earthquake of a day in Red Wings land, right? Like, and that's partly why I just continue to come back to well, then it's going to happen because it's it's almost too crazy to map out what they do from there if it doesn't. That's uh, that's too hectic of a late night story to have to type up. <laughs> but yet I would have to do that. <laughs> And yet you would. Uh, speaking of which, uh, I always fumble over this and you would do a much better job than me. So tell people where they can find uh, your work uh, and how to get to it. Yeah, uh, you can go to my Twitter at M underscore Boltman. Any link to The Athletic, um, that would be awesome because then I get a little bit of credit for it. But uh, you don't have to do it that way. You can just go to theathletic.com, click on any story, hit the paywall or don't hit the paywall if you already subscribed. We love that. Uh, and and subscribe. So um Love to have everybody on board. It's always a fun time of year. We got some more fun stuff coming. Like I, I teased earlier, we got the Who Says No mailbag, which I think uh, readers always enjoy submitting their proposals. And, and then we analyze who uh, who takes them and who doesn't. I actually got more in the ballparks this year than uh, – you know, the, the mailbag itself was unhinged. There was like 400 comments and only like 10 of them were not terrible. But I think like – 458 as of right now. I'm looking at it. Yeah. But like – the ones that I picked, I actually found myself like, hmm, I kind of like these. Uh, so I think there's a few hits in the, in the mailbag this year, which is unusual. Okay, that's exciting. Uh, okay, folks, uh, like Max said, The Athletic Detroit, I know he said you can sign up however, uh, but if you sign up and you don't 
do it through one of his links on Twitter. Um, Brad Crisco will move un, uh, into your house under your front porch like a box turtle, uh, which is not a desirable situation. So unless you want that woeful situation on you, uh, click the links on his Twitter page. Give him a follow. Uh, subscribe to The Athletic Max. Thanks so much, man. We have a busy month and three days ahead of us, and so I'm sure we're going to be talking plenty. I look forward to it, man. All right. Cheers. All right, and that was our interview or our segment, Beers with Boltman, where Max uh, gave us a great report from Sweden. Uh, I mean it when I say that uh, uh, reading The Athletic Detroit is worth it just because of Max's work. So please do subscribe. Do so through one of his uh, links on uh, Twitter. And uh, I I was very real about my threat that if you don't sign up through one of Max's links on Twitter, uh, Brad will move under your front porch like a box turtle, and no one wants that. That one catch you off guard? Well, I am house shopping right now. <laughs> that fit nicely. <laughs> uh, some Red Wings news before jumping into overtime here. Uh, the Red Wings and pretty much AHL goaltender uh, UC Okanora agreed. Well, they waived Okanora uh, for the purpose of contract termination, and the two parties agreed to terminate his NHL contract. Uh, Okanora is going back to Europe to continue his pro career. He has been with the Griffins all season and has not been good. He put up a uh, 868 save percentage, a 375 goals against average. Uh, stopping pucks has been a problem in Grand Rapids all year, pretty much until they got Ned. Uh, that was just the end of that. They, they're they going to roll with Ned and Bratstrom, and maybe if Kosa gets called up from time to time. I know a lot of people are saying, does this mean anything for Guylander and Kosa? I, I think they just weren't getting good goaltending from him. He probably wanted to go back home. Uh and the Red Wings had no problem letting go of a guy who just wasn't stopping pucks. A little bit of a little bit of a theme with the Red Wings organization. Yeah, if you're going to be bad, at least be bad at home. <laughs> and you know what? Like he was going to play more, and he probably knew that that's where his future was going to be. Right. So it's better to get a head start on that. So yeah, he's in his 30s anyway. So he's he's just looking for the most comfortable lifestyle at this point. Uh, can't, can't imagine. Uh, so. Could this mean things for making it easier to call up Kosa or, or in the future Guylander and things like that? Yeah, sure. But I wouldn't read too much into a, a lower impact move like this. Um, I would love to spend a lot of time to talk about the other things. You know, there were conversations on what the San Jose Sharks want for Timo Meyer, the NHL viewership conversation. Uh, there's the whole what Bettman said about rebuilds, things like that. Uh, we'll save that for another episode. Uh, actually, last thing here. It's important to note any of the complications that might come with trading Tyler Bertuzzi. And Elliot Friedman, I believe on the Jeff Merrick show, did mention that Canadian teams still aren't certain if Tyler Bertuzzi, if traded to a Canadian team, could then come over and play games in the States, which sounds backwards. Pretty much no one knows what the rules are anymore. Uh, I think the American side is changing some things in May. I don't know if it relates to the border at all. I don't know if Bertuzzi would qualify now. I chatted with someone uh, in the uh, in an American organization, not the Red Wings, and they said, nope, Bertuzzi would be good to go if traded, but this was you know, in September. But now Canadian teams are saying this, and they might have a better read. So if trading Bertuzzi was uh, you know, too simple for you, then it just got way more complicated. I'm sure there's a lot of work being done on the back end to see if he could be a target, but that's absolutely something that Vancouver, Toronto, uh, any one of the Canadian markets who might be interested would have to figure out before trading for him, which sucks for trade value. 
It is what it is, I suppose. Yeah, you certainly can't change it. I'm tired of that conversation. I hope it just gets resolved at some point. But anyhow, uh, as we've mentioned in the past, we don't control the border rules on the show, so don't yell at us. All right, uh, we're going to jump into overtime on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast, which is proudly brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Uh, patrons are the whole reason this show happens. Uh, Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast. If you want to join the so-called Dub Dub Club, you get access to things like the Patreon-exclusive Discord, which we have been making uh, better and better every day. It's a wonderful community. Uh, we have also been giving away two tickets to every Detroit Red Wings home game this season, the vast majority of them going directly to patrons. Uh, and in addition, you get entered into every single giveaway that we do automatically. Plus, you get access to our Patreon-exclusive uh, bonus overtime episodes, which record right after the main episode. Uh, and when there are fun bloopers, which I think we have at least one this episode, we tack those onto the end of those as well. So we let loose, have fun, answer your questions, and uh, just have a good time. Uh, Bert Timsey says, what are some ideas you have for making the All-Star Game and Skills competition more watchable? What events would you add slash change or remove? Cheers, boys. I've had the same idea for years, and I stand by this idea, and I want it to happen. Have all the normal All-Star Skills events, but you pick one random beer leaguer to hop in for all of them so you can just see the context of how truly elite these guys are. I still want to do the uh, the challenger type format where someone says, I want to challenge Connor McDavid to fastest oh. skater if, if he's the winner from last year or whatever. Um, I'd love to see stuff like that. Like, why can't Martin Furk go in for the hardest shot, even I, though he's not an all-star? Like, why can't they just do that? I would love that. If you want to make the game exclusive to the guys who are picked, that's fine. But if a guy wants to take his vacation time on his break to come in and try to blast a shot through the net, let him do it. No, we can't have that. This is uh, this is one of my answers that's dead on arrival. I want them to make the game mean something again. Remember when it meant something? Like home ice advantage or something yeah. in the playoffs? I even hate that as it's coming out of my mouth, but I will, uh, games that become intense are so good. And I would love for them to be able to manufacture that somehow. I don't know. Like, you can't do a cash prize. The NHL bleeds money as is. They're not going to offer more. Enough to the players to make it worth it for them. Home ice advantage would be cool. Uh, preferential scheduling for... Some, I don't know. I don't know. Something. Yeah. It's a stupid idea, and I know it, but I just know I have the most fun watching old all-star games or ones where the players actually get into it. If you can find a way to tap into that, that'd be great. I think they do need to move away from three-on-three three because those guys all get banged up the night before. Like Only the children don't know that, but maybe some of them do at this point. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I could not imagine, like, when... Was the all-star game in Vegas last year? Like, can you imagine going <laughs> to the all-star game? As a player who's in their 20s, a multi-millionaire pro athlete, and then having to play three-on-three hockey the next day. Oh, my God. That's an absolute nightmare. So I think they'd have to move away from three-on-three, at least four-on-four, to see any sort of, you know, uptick in uh, competitiveness. Uh, Andrew Pillen says, knowing the massive King's ransom it would take to whoever lands first overall, is there any part of you guys that would be open to trading up to grab Bedard? How much of the future would we be willing to give up to take him? Yes, I'd be willing. Um, 
I don't know if you offered the entire Red Wings roster right now that it would get it done. And I'm, I don't think I'm joking. I think if I were another team and you offered the entire roster, they would say no. <laughs> Absolutely open to it. Brad's right. The cost would be monumental. Um, there isn't a single untouchable player in my mind if you're trading up for Bedard. And I know that's an insane comment. Maybe if you have to protect one, then Cider. But even then, like if you're trading up for Bedard, like just understand Raymond and Cider wouldn't get it done. You would have to add. I don't know how many first round picks you can trade, but it's going to be all of them. <laughs> just, just click add until they grade it's out. It's going to yeah. look like a CHL type trade. <laughs> in in reality, it would be a lot of firsts. It would be one of Detroit's premium pieces. Like they, I don't see any team doing it without Raymond or Sider in there. And then they want at least one of Casper or Edvinson. And then, you know, it would take a lot. It would take a lot. Or it should at least. Would you do it? I think you should. I, I would love that. It would be insane and it could absolutely backfire. But what I would if love the to do Red that. Wings had the first overall pick and other teams were throwing the CHL trades? Nope. No. Nope. No. What I, if it was like three or four first round picks? No. Their top young player. Who's I'm that? trying to think of it. Okay. Anaheim says they'll give you their next three first overall, first round picks. Zegras. Uh, Jamie Drysdale, Mason McTavish. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. You, okay. You do like, yeah, that's, absolutely. Yeah, yes. like <laughs> that's pretty great. <laughs> yeah, because if you take Zegras, Drysdale, and McTavish off of the Anaheim Ducks, those three first round picks are going to be. They're going yeah, exactly. to be in the Bedard so range. They, I think there definitely is a ceiling. <laughs> They're going to get Mesa in a couple of years. Yeah. Jeez. Um, Keenan O'Donohue, Johnny Burgers, Meals on Wheels. Keenan uh, is a brand new name level sponsor. Keenan, thank you so much for your support for the show, man, and all you do. Uh, says, hey, this question is for Brad. Since I've never skated wheelchair, uh, so sledge hockey, uh, I can't really see the mechanical issue in Andrew Crystal's skating. Uh, do you have any thoughts? I love scouting, but it's so hard to see the issues and highlights, uh, highlight clips for his full games. Thanks a lot. It's hard Crystal to- or Crystal? I'm pretty sure it's Crystal, but I like Crystal because that's it, funny. <laughs> it's 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 objectively better, so we'll go with that. It's hard to explain without video, like, and that's not a capo because some guys have a really wide stride, some guys have a very short stride, some guys just have a weird hitch in their stride that's almost hard to explain unless you're you're physically pointing it out. Um, there's a Skating's tough because there are guys who are awful technical skaters, but they get around the ice real well. So every situation is unique. Um, and then sometimes it's just a strength issue. And then you look at someone like Crystal who, you know, all of the above probably track to some degree is yeah, it, it's hard. I've, I've really worked on over the past few years looking at, their explosiveness, their movement in tight, their edge work rather than just top end speed. Because you can, like Brad said, if you can get away, if you can get around the ice well, and if you can move in the small areas, the NHL ice is smaller, well, then then you can get around well. It's probably better, like, it's better to have separation, be yeah. able to separate yourself than have high end speed because 
there's very few opportunities to get the top gear at the no. NHL level. Defenders, and you know what? Uh, people always talk about the advancement in the game over the past few years. Forwards are faster and faster and faster. And there's not a lot of conversation of what that's done to defensemen. Defensemen who can skate are absolutely necessary at this point if you want to have a chance in hell at defending in the playoffs. Otherwise, teams who are built on speed and skill will ab- destroy you. You can't just be big. You can have one or two big guys. But if you have a bunch of meatheads and no one to actually win puck races or 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 cut off lanes, think about Jake Wallman. Like you're going to get burned. So yeah, you, skating, getting that separation is way more than just being able to get up to a, a high top speed in a straight yeah. line. Um, okay, this question from JJ Frankie JJ says we all want Larkin to stay and win a cup in Detroit. But if you look at it, at contract talks as a player, uh, money is only half half of the equation playing on a winning team and having a high chance of winning a cup would make playing the game more enjoyable too if you were Larkin would you take a five year nine million dollar contract and go to a contender and pass on an eight year eight million dollar contract if that was the final best offer in Detroit no I that's the difference between 19 million dollars I don't see how you do it yeah that's a lot of risk and that's a lot of money to leave on the table and you know as much as hockey is a sport and hockey players are competitive and, you know, they all have the passion and the love for the game, it's it's a job. It's their career. They they have to do what's financially going to make the most sense for their life. Um, So I, I, you know, I'd rather make that much more money playing on a basement feeder with certainty than going in and maybe winning a cup and then wondering if I get another contract over $2 million when I'm in my, well into my thirties at that point. So, well, not well into, but in my thirties at that point. And, you know, the big question here too, is how much does Larkin believe in the path the Red Wings are on, right? Does he, does he think there's a chance? Oh yeah, we suck now, but maybe in two, three years, yeah, I could see this team maybe getting up to the tier of insert whatever team, other team he's thinking of signing with. Cider having the cider and Raymond having the seasons they did last year may be a, play a bigger, have a bigger impact on Larkin's staying than we probably initially give it credit for. Dude, I would say, but what like seventy percent of our episode titles last season had cider or Raymond's name in them, and we probably still undersold how important those seasons were for the rebuild. They're, Can you imagine where the Red Wings were at if cider and Raymond were progressing as normal? They would be. <laughs> like they would be absolutely I don't even want to think about that <laughs> yeah it's not ideal alright uh, this one from Chance Larkins who is a new patron Chance says I felt Lobsterdamus call out to me through the luminiferous ether join the Patreon loser tasked by this voice from beyond I had no other choice in all seriousness though you guys do an excellent job and I finally got on board with the Dub Dub Club after being a freeloader for the last five years. Keep up the good work cheese bags. Chance, thank you so much uh, both for the uh, the beautiful poetry and for for the support. Um, you know, just listening is is means so much to us but anytime uh, folks join the Patreon we really can't say thank you enough. Um, and, if, if people want to start one-upping each other for dumb reasons to join the Patreon this could be one f- hell of a bit. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, and then one here for Jeremy Dahl says, hey guys, amazing job uh, as always on everything. And I want to give a shout out to uh, Jeremy's wife and little sister. He's taking them to an Oilers game again this year in Edmonton. So uh, I, I always appreciate Jeremy trying to make more hockey converts. Uh, he says, I hope it's just as crazy as last year, maybe with a win for us this this time. You guys rock and are just the best. And I try to suggest your podcast to everyone who I think will listen. Jeremy, 
thank you for doing all that. It, it means a lot. And uh, shout out to your wife and sister. I hope they enjoy the game. Maybe the Red Wings can get a win on the road. Beat Connor McDavid, you know, nice and easy. Defeat Ken Holland. <laughs> All right, we are going to wrap up this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. We are going to be back with you on Sunday. Uh, thank you all so very much for tuning in. Uh, we really, really appreciate it. Uh, if you want to support the show, if you want to, you know, support our fundraising efforts for the Jamie Daniels Foundation, uh, Winged Wheel Podcast Night or Day at the LCA, uh, joining the Patreon is a, is a wonderful way to do it. It really helps us out. Uh, but if you just want to tune in, that means a lot to us too. So thank you to all of our listeners, new and old, all of our uh, supporters on Patreon, our name level sponsors, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartels on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, uh, Armchair GM slash Genius, Nick Perks, Terry Driver of the Number 69, Crying Ryan, Hannah's Banana Slam and Jamathong, Glenn Brabham, Aiden White, Keenan O'Donohue, Johnny Burgers, Meals on Wheels, Matthew Keenan having Meals on Wheels kills me, man. <laughs> <God>. <laughs> Matthew M. Rice, Croner's Left Knee, Carl Brutana Nanaluski, Chimmy, Chris P., Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe, Denny's Gamer Girl, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood, Fight Probert, Hered Hot Ronick, Hassan Malkasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Joel Miranda, who I believe is a new name level sponsor. Joel, welcome to the Dub Dub Club. Joseph Barry, Kalen Wood, Kevin James, King Tone, Las Ensaladas Picantes, Marcus, Massive Wong, Evan Longsaber, Matt McKay, Michael Edland, Nadalkovich, goalie number one, Nicholas Fritz, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Send It Seawolf, That's What I Appreciates About You, Tomato, Tomato, Potato, Potato, Zachary Rogers, uh, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, number one Detroit Red Guys fan, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landiscog, Ben Barron, proud member of the Jake Wallman Gritty Club, Brad Simmons, Brian Vasha, Carl Thames, Connor Leighton, Darren Fick, Philip Zadiznuts, Grand Rapids Hockey Guy, Griffey Boy, Heronix Handlebar. I can't tell if this next name is dirty or not. Fluffernutter. <laughs> yeah, I'll leave that one in. James, sure that's actually like a candy or a snack. <laughs> James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, John Ingles, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Lieutenant Matt S. of the Cheesebag Army, Linda Hull, Maximilian, Melissa Erickson, Ophelia, Ricky Bong Rips, Servo, Steven, The Hodag, uh, and finally, my favorite patron, Matt Keeler. Thank you all so much. We'll talk to you Sunday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.